Let's look to God's Word this, this morning. We're going to continue through Genesis as we've been uh, walking through Genesis and looking to what God would teach us through it. Uh, today we find ourselves in Genesis 19. If you've been following with us, you know that uh, really since Genesis 1, uh, as God creates, you see the fall, and then from the fall you see devastating consequences of sin. And the question, really from Genesis 3 on, is well, what is God going to do about sin? How is he going to deal with this issue of sin? And we see him at times uh, intervening, interacting, and, and judging, bringing justice to the earth in part uh, in dealing with sin, but ultimately pointing towards the gospel and towards the day that Christ will go to the cross to die for a man's sin. But between the fall and the cross, we have events like Genesis 19, where you see wickedness has grown so great that God steps in and He brings His wrath and He brings His justice. And I think as we read this, I pray as we read this, that there will be something here for God to teach each one of us today. So let me begin by reading the Word, beginning in Genesis 19. and One, we're going to read all the way down through uh, Genesis 19, verse 29 this Lord's Day. So if you would follow along with me. This is what God's Word says to us. Uh, The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, And Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked them unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called out to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn and he has become the judge. Now we will deal more worse with you than with all of them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down, but the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. Then they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of this place. For we are about to destroy this place. Because the outcry against this people has become great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. As the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. 
And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also. I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing until you arrive. Therefore, the name of this city is Zor. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord and looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he had overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. If you would, pray with me for our time in this word. Sovereign God, we do pray in the name of Jesus that you would make this word alive to us. It is very tempting for us to read about the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah and just think about the wickedness in our world. And certainly, there is a correlation between those things. But Lord, I pray that each of us today would look at the wickedness in our own lives. That you would convict us of sin. That you would call us to repentance. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Something I've mentioned as we have been walking through Genesis and looking at the Old Testament is some people have a kind of a, a misconception when it comes to the Scripture. You might even say kind of a, a common myth that we have about the Scripture. The myth is this, is that God is somehow very different in the Old Testament than in the New Testament. And so you may say or you may hear people say, well, you know, the Old Testament God is just so wrathful and you just see His, Him raining down His wrath and His justice. And, and new, the New Testament God's just so merciful and kind and yet when you study the scripture you see that God has not changed from Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation you see that as we see the wrath of God in the Old Testament it points towards the wrath of God in the New Testament in the Old Testament we see God's wrath coming down on cities like Sodom and Gomorrah in the New Testament we see God unleash the fullness of his wrath on Jesus Christ on the cross in the Old Testament we see God's mercy as well as the New Testament. And so Genesis 3 where you see God's justice as he evicts Adam and Eve from the garden. You see his mercy as well as he makes the promise of a Messiah to come. Genesis chapter 6 as God looks at the wickedness of the earth and you see his wrath and his justice on man's sin. The wickedness that is spread. You see his mercy and calling Noah righteous and preserving a remnant through him. And even here in Genesis 19 where we come to this text that deals with a city so utterly perverse and wicked that God is going to destroy it with fire from heaven. We see the mercy of God as He preserves 
Lot. Lot, who Peter says later in the New Testament, is righteous. And he saves him from the judgment that comes on this city. Not only do we see a question in Scripture of what will God do with sin, we see the question of Scripture of what will God do with those who are deemed righteous and yet continue in sin. And we have an example here in the Scripture. And if we're honest, we have an example many days when we look in the mirror. For those of us saved by grace, we struggle with sin. And I think this text teaches us as much as any New Testament text of the dangers of sin and of how we're to respond when convicted of sin. And so I want to walk through it with that in mind, looking to see what what are the questions for us today from this text and how we deal with sin. What can we learn from righteous Lot who lived among unrighteousness? First question I want to look at that I've put there in your notes. Number one is this. The question of sin. Does sin comfort you or convict you? When it comes to sin in your life and my life, do we find sin to be comforting or convicting? Because it can do one or the other. In fact, some of us, we can grow very comfortable in our sin to the point that when we see it in the Scripture, when I talk to you about it today, you don't really listen because you're so comforted in your sin. And I can be so comforted in mine that our hearts can grow rather callous. To the point where we're not convicted at all. Uh, We see this level of comfort in Lot's life as you look to where he was. The scripture tells us, going back to Genesis 13, you've got this picture of Lot and Abraham and this decision that was before them as to where they would live. It looks like a pretty simple decision of logistics, but there's much more there than that because it's a question of will they walk by faith and trust in God or not. Abraham chooses to walk by faith. Lot chooses to walk by sight. And in doing that, what Lot is choosing to do is to move closer and closer to the enticement of the sin of Sodom. And so what you see Lot doing is it says that he moves and he establishes his tents near Sodom. He is drawn towards this wicked city. It's easy for us to look at Sodom and think, well, why would anybody be drawn towards the wickedness of it? Why are you and I drawn towards wickedness today? Scripture says sin, it's almost like a bait before a fish. <laughs> you know, that fish, amazing thing, when I, when I go fishing, I'll catch fish sometimes, and you, you can see uh, actual places in their mouth where they've had other hooks in their mouth. I caught a fish one time, had another hook stuck in its mouth. You would think that fish would learn from that experience not to go after the worm with the metal object sticking out of it. But that fish doesn't learn any more than we do sometimes. And we go back to our sin. Lot is enticed by this sin in Sodom. He gets close to it. Then the scripture tells us he's in Sodom. He has established himself there. And then we get to Genesis 19. And at this point it says he is sitting at the gate of Sodom. And in the day that we are reading of, this was a position of authority. And we might think of this in our minds as he's sitting at the gate like he's some sort of uh, uh, you know, low-pay watchman, some sort of guard in the military. No, th- this was a position of authority, kind of like an elder of the city. You saw many decisions being made at the gates of the city during this day in the Old Testament. And so here Lot is, he has become so comfortable in his sin that he is now in a position of authority in this city. 
we look to Lot, we need to look to ourselves and ask the question, as, as comfortable as he had become, is that where you and I are today? Do you find yourself moving closer and closer to sin in such a way that you are just completely comforted by it, that perhaps you need more of it to bring you more comfort? Have you become callous to sin? A lot of you grew up farming, and when I shake your hands as you leave the church, I know that you work with your hands because your hands are real calloused. You know, callous hands come from working hands. You use the hand and parts of the hand so much that the, the skin gets very thick and calloused. And what that means is it becomes far less sensitive to things. So you come up to somebody who doesn't have calluses, you poke them with a little pin, they're, they're going to feel it, maybe even bleed where you poke them. You come up to somebody who's been working on a farm all their life, they've got such calluses on their hands. You get a Jeff Lewis hand, you poke that thing with a pin, he probably sleep through it. Because there's this thick skin on the outside that's, that's almost just deadened to anything. Well, that might be a, a sign of a sort of integrity when it comes to your hands, but it's a real problem when it comes to your heart. And the Scripture says the problem with the heart, according to Paul as he writes in Ephesians, is the calloused heart practices all kinds of impurity. Because when our hearts become calloused to conviction, we're no longer convicted that what we're doing is wrong, and then we just keep doing it, not even thinking it's wrong, because we're so comfortable in our sin. And we enjoy our sin. The Scripture says sin is pleasurable for a season. The callous heart is comforted in sin, but we also see that righteousness and exposure to it can bring conviction, and we see a hint of that conviction in Lot's life. Uh, these angels who come, these angels who had gone with the Lord to Abraham and now have come to Sodom, I believe they, they represent the, the righteousness of God coming to this city. And the very exposure to them seems to bring some level of conviction to Lot. He's immediately, it seems, convicted that they don't need to stay in that town square. <laughs> now, this is Lot who was so comfortable that he's probably in a position of authority in this city that it's likely his daughters or these sons-in-law, future sons-in-law, were probably sodomites. They've been promised to these men. He's established his life there. And yet when these angels come, there seems to be a hint of conviction of, wait a second, that they don't need to go there. Because I know what the men of the city are like. That they don't need to go there. And so he invites them into his home. And then we see this conviction express itself more as these wicked and perverse men crowd Lot's house and demand that he bring these men out that they might abuse these men. And notice what Lot says to them. He says to them, do not act so wickedly. Lot looks at these men in Sodom, and he calls them wicked. This, I think, stems from a level of growing conviction of his heart that he's just willing to say there's something wrong here. Now, now we don't know the dialogue that took part between Lot and people in this city up to this point, but I'm, I'm just assuming, based on where he's at, that he probably didn't march into town going, y'all are a bunch of wicked men. In fact, I would say that Lot probably came into that town with a lot of lip service, and he probably gave a lot of praise to those wicked men, and that's why they allowed him in and allowed him into a position of authority. Now, I'm just guessing that Lot was not one to go around and talk about a coming judgment from the Lord because when he does that with his future sons-in-law, how do they respond? 
<laughs> He's telling a joke. It's pretty funny, Lot. They don't take him seriously. And as I said last week, it's probably because he didn't take the Lord very seriously. When you're not very serious about the Lord and your walk with him, people don't take you very seriously when you finally do speak of him. And I think that's what we see here with Lot. But there seems to be a growing conviction to where he is willing to finally say, this is wrong and please don't do it. And notice how the men respond to him. Lot, who are you to judge us? Friends, oftentimes when we are willing to say to someone, what, what you're doing is wrong and it is sin, the immediate response we receive is the same. Well, well who are you to judge me? When the church finally stands up in a wicked culture and says, wait a second, wait, wait, wait. The scripture says what we are doing culturally, what we are adopting culturally is sin and is wrong. Oftentimes the culture stands up and says, who are you to judge us? And perhaps the scariest part of that is often it's believers or at least people who profess to be believers standing up and saying, well, well we don't have the right to judge anyone. I mean, I get that as a pastor sometimes. I'll bring these things up and I'll hear people say to me, well, doesn't the Scripture say we're not supposed to judge? Matthew 7, in case you don't know the reference, is the verse that's often quoted. Judge not, lest you be judged, or judge not that you not be judged. And it's brought up in this context of, well, we, we as Christians, we don't have any right to judge. Lot has no right to step out in this city and say anything's wicked. Who are we to call anything evil, wicked, or sin? Well, if you read the context of Matthew 7, you realize that we've taken that passage completely out of it. Jesus says, judge not least you be judged. The context here is what he's saying is, before you judge another, judge yourself. You see, remember that story Jesus tells about the speck in your brother's eye and the log in yours? That's in Matthew 7 right after he makes that statement about judgment. And what he basically says there is, before you move the speck from your brother's eye, get the log out of your eye. He's saying, look at your sin first so that you can then see clearly to address your brother's sin. And so you think about the context in your own life. What is it like for someone to come to you and address an issue in your life when they have this blaring issue in their life that they're not addressing? If you're like me, you just sit there and you go, okay, I, I hear what you're saying. Do you hear what you're saying? <laughs> I'm receiving what you're saying and why this is wrong. Do you understand this is wrong? But friend, we, we do that very easily because it's so much easier for, for me personally to stand here and point out the sin that you have than it is to sit in that office and open the Word and address the sin in my own heart. It's much easier to read Genesis 19 and say, look at the wickedness of the city and look at the wickedness of our culture and look how far we've come and point the finger out there. And I believe there is a place for that, and we should. But what the Scripture says is, first, we point here. First, we address the issues in our own hearts. And so you get to a blaring issue in Genesis 19, like the issue of homosexuality. And I think the reason that the church has failed to speak well to this issue is the church has failed to speak well to what biblical marriage actually looks like to begin with. And we've had a culture where we've not taken God's word and adopted it as the foundation of a marriage between a husband and a wife, 
And so when the Scripture then goes where Genesis goes, which is further and further and further away from God's design, and we say, wait a second, wait, you know what the Bible says? They look at us and say, you must be joking. They look at us and say, you, you, who are you to, to judge us? Friends, we have to start with looking at our own hearts. And when we do, we need to ask the question. And you need to ask the question. I need to ask it today. The sin in your life, the sin in my life, are you comforted by it? Have you grown callous to it? Are you involved in things now that when someone calls it to your attention, you make statements like this? Well, you know, that, that used to bother me, but it doesn't really bother me anymore. We say that like it's an expression of spiritual maturity, but really it's an expression of a callous heart. Something that used to bother me, something that used to trouble me, something I used to be convicted about, yeah, it doesn't really convict me anymore. That's not a sign of spiritual maturity. It's a sign of callousness towards the things of God. And that's what we see here. Question two. When you are convicted, do you repent or do you remain? Notice Lot's response here. Verse 12, the men say to Lot, Do you have anyone? Is there anyone here? If there is, you need to get out of town. And so Lot immediately goes to his sons-in-law, his future sons-in-law, and says, God's judgment's coming. And they essentially think he's, he's joking. But from there, it doesn't seem that Lot's in a real hurry. In fact, if you notice here, going back to verse 1 in chapter 19, it's the evening when the angels come. The evening. But then you get to verse 15. The morning is now dawning. We tend to read this text like it's playing out within a few hours. It's playing out over an evening into the next day. And so Lot is warned by the angels, God is about to drop fire on this city. Get out. If I show up to your house today, and I say, there is a meteor on the weather channel, and it is headed with a trajectory, of zip code 4008, and it is going to land on your house in 10 minutes. How would you respond? Well, let me go see what the Weather Channel says. You know, I was just taking a nap, and I'd really like to get back to it. You know, the preacher was kind of long this morning. I really want to finish eating my turkey sandwich. I would hope that if I was serious, and you had reason to believe I was serious, you would get out of the house, and the town, and the state, and you'd go to the ocean. Because destruction's coming. But what does Lot do? The scripture says literally that Lot lingers. That there is no sense of seriousness here for Lot. As much as he is convicted that there's wickedness in his city, as much as he's convicted to the point that he needs to say something to his future sons-in-law, when it comes to actually just letting go of his sin, which is what Sodom represents for Lot, he just stays. He just lingers. There's really no sign here in Lot's life of repentance. I've shared the illustration before of, of repentance. It's, it's kind of like, as I've shared before, if you walk out in the church parking lot after church and you notice a child running towards traffic. And, and you just yell to him, Stop! Turn around and come back. You, you are telling them there's imminent danger if they go on that road. They are likely going to be hurt, maybe even killed. 
if they don't listen to your voice and turn around and come back to you. And that's what it is for us to repent. You know what Lot's like? Lot's like the guy who hears that and he stands in the road and he sits down and he says, I think I'm going to be okay. I, you know, I can't remember the last time I got hit by a car. I think I'll just be fine. And you're saying, no, Lot, there, there is an 18-wheeler coming down the road and it is going to run you over. Lot says, well, I don't think it'll run me over. I don't think it'll do that much at all. That's what it is for us in our sin to stand before a righteous God, calloused-hearted, and refuse to repent and hold on to our sin. Think of the sin in your life you hold on to. We, we have this picture of Lot. He is holding on to Sodom. He doesn't want to let go. Notice how he leaves Sodom. The angels literally grab him and drag him out. They grab him and his wife and his two daughters. They don't ask him any more questions. They literally pull him out of the city. That is what God does for you and I, believer, in our sin. Because there are times when we don't repent and God just snatches us up out of it. In fact, there are probably things in your life that you have prayed that God wouldn't take away that are sin. And when He does take it away, a relationship, a job, a situation, you're crying, God, why would you take this thing away? And then you look back and you realize, God, you, you took this away from me because this was, this was bad. And I was in desperate sin and I was sitting in the road and the car was coming and you didn't wait for me, Lord, to get up out of the road. You picked me up out of the road. Do, do we see God's wrath in Genesis? Oh yeah, do we see His mercy? Absolutely. And, and Christian, that's the mercy He has for you and I. He, he won't let us sit there comfortably in the road. He will bring conviction in your life. Perhaps He is even now. And at times, He will pull you up out of it. Last question, number three. Are you moving closer to sin or closer to God? It's a question I brought up last week. It's a question I want to bring up this week because you're not just sitting still. We tend to think our spiritual life is if, well, you know, I'm just going to take a break. I'm going to take an exit ramp. I'm going to sit over here in the rest area for a while. Kind of, kind of tired. But there's no sitting still in our faith. You're either moving closer to the Lord or you're moving farther away from the Lord. You're either moving closer to sin or you're moving farther away from sin. But there is no standing still. And what we see in this passage really at the end of it, <clears throat> is a picture of those who are moving away and those who are moving towards. You, you have Lot, who doesn't want to let go, who eventually is snatched from it. Then, then you have Lot's wife. And you have this passage in verse 26 that can seem rather extraordinary. The angels clearly said, leave and don't look back. And the Scripture says in verse 26, Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Again, I think the picture our mind conjures up is that they're all just walking and they're walking and they're walking and that Lot's wife says, oh wait, and as soon as she turns around, she turns to salt. But that's not what the Scripture indicates. Because the Scripture tells us already in verse 26 that she was behind him. 
And when you look to the Hebrew, when it says looked back, that's more a sense of she was going back. And so there's this sense where lingering Lot, who's dragged out of the city by the angels, has one lingering even more than him, and it's his wife. His wife, who the Scripture never even names. And the indication is that not only is she looking back, but she is going back. And as she is going back, she is swept up in the destruction of this city. And that could be that God literally turns her into a pillar of salt. There in this area, actually, pillars of salt that for years many have said, well, that's Lot's wife, that's Lot's wife, that's Lot's wife. And God could do that. It could be, the Scripture says clearly that God rains sulfur and fire on this city. It could be that sulfur landed and consumed her and she was alive and then she was dead, sitting there covered in this sulfur. Whatever the case, this is a picture of someone who doesn't want to let go of their sin and they're actually moving back towards it and God takes them out. We have a picture, though, of one who seems to be moving closer to God in in Abraham. Abraham struggled. But at this point, Abraham has cried out for this city. And now you have Abraham standing up on this hill, this place where he was with the Lord, this place where he begged the Lord to save save this city, this place where he came to terms with the Lord that there wasn't anything to save in this city apart from a few Apart from Lot, who was considered righteous, and by God's grace, Lot's wife and daughters. But even now, Lot's wife is taken up in this destruction. But you have Abraham looking down on this. The Scripture doesn't tell us a lot about what's going through Abraham's mind. But I imagine as Abraham has pled with the Lord, that, that Abraham knows that God is going to save Lot. Scripture never tells us that Lot and Abraham reunite, by the way. In fact, things end really miserably for Lot, who wanted to hold on to things so much, and he ends with nothing. But I think you have Abraham here physically, visibly seeing a picture of the grace of God. That while the wrath is falling on the wicked, he is faithful to preserve the righteous. And friends, that's the gospel. We in our wickedness deserve God's wrath but in His mercy and grace He has saved us. And He has called us from it. He's called these callous-hearted people that we are to repent of sin, to move further away from it and move closer to Him. And so the question is, which one of those are you today? (laughs) Are you Lot? You're saved, but you're holding on to that sin. Are you Lot's wife who, even when pulled from it, she wants to run back to it and ultimately it destroys her? Are you like Abraham who, while you have struggled and there's been ups and downs, you can now look and see a picture of the gospel and the need for faith and repentance continuing your own life? The Scripture gives us a picture and the Scripture gives us a clear command. If you are in sin today, repent. If you don't trust the Lord today, trust Him. If you struggle with belief, believe. And put your faith fully in the One who snatches us out of the road and snatches us out of destruction. If you would pray with me. Father, we thank You for Your Word and for the grace You offer us. And we pray today, Lord, that we would experience it in full. Pray, God, that we would embrace and respond to the Gospel. Pray for this in Christ's name. Amen.